I've now got, we're going to start questions of the Prime Minister. I will call the Prime Minister to answer the engagements question. I will then call Mr Lawrence Robertson to ask his supplementary. Prime Minister. Good morning, Mr Speaker. I hope very much our connection uh, works today. This is my last day of virtual meetings uh, with ministerial colleagues and others before I come out of isolation. In addition to my virtual meetings and duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. We're now going across to Lawrence Robertson in Dukesbury. Lawrence Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister guarantee that in any agreement he reaches with the European Union, that British sovereignty will be protected for the whole of the United Kingdom and that the UK will exit the transitional period on the 31st of December as a whole? Prime Minister. Yes, yes, indeed. I, I can make that guarantee, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, our position on uh, fish hasn't changed. Uh, we'll only be able to make progress if the, if the EU accepts the reality that uh, we must be able to control access to our waters. And it's very important at this stage uh, to emphasise that. Point. The Leader of the Opposition, the Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today is International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women and Girls. On average, a woman is killed by a man every three days in this country. It's a shocking statistic. And sadly, the pandemic has, made, has seen a significant increase in domestic abuse. I'll join those marking this day, and I'm sure the whole House would agree we need to do far more to end domestic violence. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister may remember that in August of last year, he wrote the foreword to the Ministerial Code. It says, and I quote, there must be no bullying, no harassment, no leaking, no misuse of taxpayers' money, no actual or perceived conflicts of interest. That's five promises in two sentences. How many of those promises does the Prime Minister think his ministers have kept? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I believe that the ministers of this government are working hard and overall doing an outstanding job in delivering the people's priorities. And that's what we will continue to do. And I think if he waits a, a little bit longer today, uh, he'll hear some of the ways in which this government is going to uh, be taking this country forward with uh, one of the most ambitious uh, programmes of investment in infrastructure, in uh, our schools, our hospitals, uh, for generations. And uh, if he wants to make any particular allegations about uh, individual ministers or their conduct, then uh, he's welcome to do so. Uh, and I, the floor is his. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I didn't really hear an answer there. Uh, so why don't we go through these commitments in turn, starting with bullying and harassment. The now former independent advisor on ministerial standards concluded that the Home Secretary's behaviour was, in his words, in breach of the ministerial code, and he said, can be described as bullying, which Mr Speaker means intimidating or insulting behaviour that makes an individual feel uncomfortable, frightened, less respected or put down. What message does the Prime Minister think it sends that the independent adviser on standards has resigned, but the Home Secretary is still in post? Yeah. Prime well, Minister. 
Mr. Speaker, the, the Home Secretary, Sir Alex's decisions are entirely a matter for, for him, but the Home Secretary has apologised for any way in which her, her conduct fell short. And frankly, Mr. Speaker, I make no apology uh, for sticking up, for standing by a Home Secretary who, as I said just now, is getting on with delivering on the people's priorities, putting already 6,000 of the 20,000 more police out on the street uh, to fight crime, instituting in the teeth of very considerable resistance a new Australian-style points-based uh, immigration system. Uh, she's, get, she's getting on uh, with delivering what I think the people of this country want. She's showing a steely determination, and I think that's probably why his side continue to bash her. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the reality is that any other Prime Minister would have fired the Home Secretary, and any other Home Secretary would have resigned. So I think we'll chalk that up as one broken porous. On to the next. No leaking. Over the summer, we saw repeated leaks about which areas would go into restrictions. The Prime Minister's plans to go into a second national lockdown were leaked all over the national papers, resulting in a truly chaotic press conference. And we've seen more leaking in the last 24 hours. This serial leaking is causing huge anxiety to millions of people about what's going to happen next. Now, I know there's supposed to be an inquiry underway, but can the Prime Minister tell us, is he any closer to working out who in his government is leaking this vital information? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I've already told you uh, that as soon as we have any information about uh, anybody leaking, we'll, we'll bring it to the House. But I may say, I think the right honourable gentleman uh, is, is really concentrating on trivia, when what the people of this country want is to see uh, his support and uh, the, the support of politicians across the House uh, for the tough measures that we're putting in uh, to defeat uh, coronavirus. He makes various attacks on, uh, I think, on my leadership and the, and the handling of the, the ministerial code. I, I take them uh, a lot more seriously, frankly, Mr. Speaker. If the leader of the opposition could explain uh, whether or, or why the on right honourable gentleman, the member for Islington North, is still a member of the Labour Party, uh, you know, does he support uh, his continue the right honourable member? Uh, for Islington North's continued membership of the Labour Party, yes or no? Why does he answer that question? I think I'll just answer the fact that it actually is Prime Minister's questions, not Leader of the Opposition questions. Keir Starmer. Reasonable question, Mr Speaker. I think I'll make that decision, Prime Minister. And I think, thankfully, we've got the same. We don't want to lose it. Keir Starmer. Uh, it was your end last time, by the way. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The difference, of course, is that I'm tackling the issues in my party. He's running away from the issues in his. And I, I take it... I take it... I take it from his answer... I take it from his answer that he's no idea who's leaking from his government. So I think we put that as another one in the no column. Moving on. Perhaps the most serious of the promises under the Code. No misuse of taxpayers' money. For weeks, I've raised concern about the government's spraying taxpayers' money on contracts that don't deliver. The problem, Mr Speaker, is even worse than we thought. This week, a Cabinet Office response suggests that the government purchased not 50 million unusable items of protective equipment, but 180 million. And a new report this morning by the National Audit Office 
identifies a further set of orders totalling £214 million for face marks to the NHS that it can't use. So will the Prime Minister come clean? How many hundreds of millions of pounds of taxpayers' money has been wasted on equipment that can't be used? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, uh, actually, 99.5%, to answer his question uh, directly, 99.5% of the PPE, the 32 billion items of, of PPE that uh, this country has secured, uh, conformed entirely to our uh, clinical needs once we checked it. And uh, I, you know, I think of all the lines of attack, the pathetic lines of attack that we've heard uh, so far, this is the, the feeblest. Because uh, if you remember, Mr Speaker, we were faced with a national pandemic that uh, on a scale that we hadn't seen before, and the government was being attacked uh, by the Labour Party uh, for not moving fast enough to secure PPE. We, uh, I remember the right honourable gentleman saying uh, that we needed to unblock the, the blockages in the system and that we needed to shift heaven and earth to get it done. That's what he said at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, then he complained uh, that we moved too slow. Now he's saying that we moved too fast. He's got to make up his mind what his attack is. Keir Starmer. Well, it's obvious that either the Prime Minister doesn't know how much taxpayers' money has been wasted uh, or he doesn't care. So, so far, Mr Speaker, that's bullying, harassment, leaking and misuse of taxpayers' money. I must say, Prime Minister, it's not looking good so far. So let's press on. The next one is no actual or perceived conflicts of interest. Where do I start on this one, Mr Speaker? Last week, last week we learned that suppliers with political connections were ten times more likely to be awarded government contracts. This week, the Sunday Times reports that the Health Secretary appointed one of his closest friends to a key advisory role. This friend also is a major shareholder, as it happens, in a firm that specialises in lobbying the government on behalf of its clients, and some of those clients have secured tens of millions of pounds of government contracts during the pandemic. Was the Prime Minister aware of this apparent conflict of interest? Prime Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, insofar as there are any conflicts of interest, they, they will be evident from the publication of all the details of all the, uh, of all the contracts. And uh, again, he just seems to be attacking the government for shifting heaven and earth, as we did, to get the medicines, to get the PPE, to get the equipment, to get the treatments that this country needed. And what it reveals, really, is a deep underlying Labour hatred of the private sector. And it's actually thanks to the private sector and uh, government working with the private sector that the UK was able to produce the world's first usable treatment for the disease in dexamethasone, uh, the, uh, the world's first, uh, and, and has worked hard to, to secure a huge numbers uh, of doses of the world's first usable room temperature vaccine. That's the private sector working to deliver for the people of this country. And it's common sense, conservative government working with the private sector rather than abominating them and, uh, and, and, and relying exclusively on some deranged form of state control. How else does he think we could possibly have done it? Keir Starmer. No one's knocking the private sector. The government's knocking the taxpayer. And that's not trivial. So, Mr Speaker, I think it's a clean sweep. 
bullying, harassment, leaking, wasting public money and obvious conflicts of interest. It's the same old story. One rule for the British public, another for the Prime Minister and his friends. Just look at the contrast between his attitude to spraying public money at contracts that don't deliver and his attitude to pay rises for the key workers who kept the country going during this pandemic. If you've got a hotline to ministers, you get a plank cheque. But if you're on the front line tackling COVID, you're picking up the bill. So will the Prime Minister finally get his priorities right, stop wasting taxpayers' money and give police officers, firefighters, care workers and other key workers the pay rise they so obviously deserve? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, it's this party and this government uh, that has given uh, key workers, public sector workers, above inflation pay rises this year, as he knows, uh, for, uh, for, for police, uh, for, for the army, uh, for, uh, for, for nurses, are now getting 12.6% more uh, than they were three years ago. And it is this government that will continue uh, to increase the living wage, as he uh, will discover if you just contain his impatience just for a, for a few minutes. Indeed, it's this government uh, that, is, uh, that has not only delivered free school meals and uh, vast increase in, uh, in spending on development around the world, but has looked after the poorest and the needs. And one of the most uh, important facts about the coronavirus package, the £200 billion package of support that the Chancellor has devised for lives and livelihoods across the country is the benefits for overwhelmingly uh, give overwhelmingly prioritise the poorest and neediest in the country. And the reason we can do that is because we have a government that understands how to run a strong economy and to make sure and makes sure that it takes the tough decisions now that it will allow our economy to bounce back. And that's what this government is doing. Laura Trott. Um, can I welcome the promised increase in education funding? I look forward to hearing the detail this afternoon. Can I ask the Prime Minister that some of this money is spent on school building repairs, particularly for voluntary controlled and multi-academy trusts, such as Orchards Academy and West Kingsdown in my own constituency? These types of schools were unable to apply for the most recent round of funding and are in urgent need of repair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prime Minister. Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. And, uh, that's why uh, we've allocated uh, an additional £560 million this year for essential maintenance and upgrades in the school estate, uh, on top of more than uh, £1.4 billion. And uh, in Kent, uh, £20 million is going to uh, Kent Local Authority, including West Kingsdown Church of England Primary School, and uh, nearly £6 million uh, to Kemnall Academy's Trust, uh, Mr Speaker. And I would encourage uh, my honourable friend to continue her excellent campaign. Let's head up to Scotland with leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Protecting the foreign aid budget has long been a source of unity and agreement across this House and indeed across the four nations of the United Kingdom. At the last general election, every major party recommitted to that moral mission of helping the world's poorest and most vulnerable. Indeed, a senior government minister said that, and I quote, paved the way for Britain to meet the UN target of spending 0.7% of national income on aid, and that remains our commitment. Does the Prime Minister agree with that senior government minister? Prime Minister. Speaker, listening to uh, members opposite, talking about the, 
the, the 0.7, you'd think that they'd, in, they'd invented it. It was the Conservative government that, uh, that instituted it. And we, I think this country can be incredibly proud of what we have delivered for the poorest and neediest people in the world. That will continue. We're one of the, uh, on, on any view, where this country is one of the biggest uh, investors over, or uh, donors uh, overseas in, in all its forms. I think we're the second biggest in the G7 on any, on any view, uh, in, in whether in percentage terms or in, in cash terms, and that will continue. We, we, we have, we have a, we've seen a massive increase, as the House will know, in uh, spending on our, on, our, on our collective overseas commitments. And by the way, uh, the right honourable gentleman will know that is a huge benefit also uh, to, to Scotland, where East Kilbride, uh, there are people who do a fantastic job in, uh, in development overseas. Returning to Scotland, Ian Blackford. Ian. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And I'm glad that the Prime Minister seemed to agree with the quote, because the words I quoted were his. It's exactly what he told the House of Commons less than six months ago. And I can take it that the briefing that's gone on won't be true that the 0.7% will remain in place. And, Mr Speaker, we need to recognise that the COVID-19 is a global pandemic. And whilst we're all in the same storm, some nations have better life rafts. The World Bank estimate that the pandemic will push an estimated 88 to 150 million people into extreme poverty. In the world's poorest countries, hunger and cases of malaria are rising. And the UN projects that as many as 11 million girls may never return to education after school closes. The UK government cannot eradicate the threat of COVID-19 if there is still a threat around the world. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that keeping the commitment of 0.7% is not only the right thing to do morally, but it is the sensible thing to do in helping with the eradication of COVID-19? Prime Minister. Of course, I, I, I agree that uh, the UK should be playing a leading role in eradicating COVID-19 around the world. And that's why one of the wonderful features of the uh, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, if it uh, is approved, is that uh, it's going to be sold at cost uh, around or to partners around the world. And I wonder, I wonder how, whether he knows quite how much the UK has already given uh, to COVAX, to the Global Vaccine Alliance. I, I can tell him it's, it's more than virtually any other country in the world. We should be proud in this country of what we're doing. I think about $800 million to support COVAX, to say nothing of what we're doing with, uh, with Gavi and, and CEPI and other organizations. We are in the lead in uh, promoting not just inventing vaccines, but in making sure that the poorest and neediest around the world get those vaccines. And I think the people in this country should be very proud of what they're doing. What Let's head do. up to Burton with Kate Griffiths. Kate Griffiths. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome the Prime Minister's pledge in the 10-point plan to plant 30,000 hectares of trees a year by 2025. Farmers will play a crucial role in meeting this target what financial incentives will be available to encourage them to make this long-term commitment? Prime Minister. My old friend is dead right, and uh, what we're going to do is, is use the new freedoms we have after leaving the Common Agricultural uh, Policy to support farmers to uh, beautify the, the landscape, to make it uh, uh, less prone to to flooding and we're putting 640 million pounds from the Nature for Climate Fund uh, into helping to support the planting of 30,000 hectares uh, of trees by 2025, every year by 2025. David. 
Three weeks ago, I asked the Prime Minister to support unpaid carers who are facing extreme hardship during COVID by raising carers' allowance by £20 a week. It's very disappointing the ministers haven't found that money for carers, but have found hundreds of millions for contracts handed out to Conservative Party cronies. Mr Speaker, it's Carers' Rights Day tomorrow, so can I ask the Prime Minister again, will he either raise carers' allowance by £20 a week, as Liberal Democrats are campaigning for, or will he explain why Conservatives think unpaid carers don't deserve extra help? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I'll be, I'll be happy to, uh, to look at that specific um, uh, grant again, but I have to say that uh, you, you look at what we've done so far with uh, supporting universal uh, credit uh, and uh, the substantial increases in, uh, in, in the living wage. Uh, we're doing our best to support uh, families uh, who are the neediest across the whole of the UK. And, and as I say, one of the stunning feet, one of the most remarkable features of the package that uh, we've given to support lives and livelihoods is, is that the benefits do fall uh, disproportionately and quite rightly uh, on, the, on the poorest and the neediest. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure, like me, the Prime Minister welcomes the incredibly valuable contribution of our essential workers in keeping our society moving, our economy turning and keeping us safe. But we know that many of our constituents are facing challenges through COVID. So on that note, does the Prime Minister agree with me and many colleagues that as we are having intense discussions on how to balance the nation's finances, that now is not the time for an MP's pay rise? Prime uh, Minister. Yes, Mr Speaker, I, I, I do agree with that. And that's why we've frozen uh, ministerial salaries this year, uh, as indeed they've been frozen by successive Conservative governments uh, since, since 2010. And uh, I, I know that uh, IPSA will have heard uh, my honourable friend and uh, I'd encourage uh, them not to proceed. Let's go over to Northern Ireland with Stephen Farry. Stephen uh, Farry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the, the Northern Ireland business community is extremely concerned that it is, it is now impossible to be ready to fully implement the protocol from the 1st of January. Their top priority is to ask the EU for an, an adjustment or grace period. This request is based on respect for the protocol and is not about an extension to the transition period. Will the Prime Minister give his support to this ask? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we're, of course we're not going to extend the transition period, but we want to make practical arrangements to help uh, businesses in, uh, in Northern Ireland. And uh, we've agreed, for instance, a one-year adjustment period, so there's no uh, disruption to the, to the flow of medicines. And we've already launched uh, a 200 million trader support uh, service to, uh, to help agri-food uh, businesses and others. And that's going to more details will be, be announced shortly, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Flood risk from new development is a key concern for many of my constituents, highlighted by a case in Ickford, where developers promised that uh, flood risk would be a once-in-a-hundred-year eventuality, yet the village has flooded three times this year alone. With that in mind, will my right honourable friend commit to seriously beefing up the way flood risk is assessed and treated as part of the planning process? Prime Minister. Well, I have uh, deep sympathy, Mr. Speaker, for his constituency in Ickford and uh, the flooding they've suffered. I know, I, I know Ickford. Um, uh, what I can say is it's very important that local authorities do follow the rules in uh, making their 
their planning decisions, as I'm sure he would uh, agree. And uh, we're making a huge uh, 5.2 billion pound investment in flood defences uh, to protect uh, the the, the 300,000 homes that are at risk across the country. Van Mr. Speaker, the Greater Manchester Metrolink tram system cuts carbon emissions, improves air quality and reduces congestion on our roads. As part of the post-COVID recovery plan, will the Prime Minister commit funding to extend the tram network from East Didsbury to Stockport Town Centre in order to improve access and give much-needed support to businesses and communities in my constituency? Prime Minister. I'm grateful to the Honourable Gentleman. I will study the, uh, the plan he proposes with care, uh, though I should tell him that there is already a, uh, a massive infrastructure programme uh, uh, underway already, and it may be that his, uh, as the Chancellor will shortly announce, and it may be that uh, in due time uh, the scheme he proposes could benefit uh, from those investments. Let's head to Romford with Andrew Rosner. Andrew Rosner. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. With the London area potentially entering stricter Tier 3 or Tier 2 lockdown measures and the devastating consequences this will have to bring on jobs, livelihoods, businesses and indeed the effects on physical and mental health, as the Prime Minister is committed to following the evidence, will he agree to a full public cost-benefit analysis on its impact on our economy and public health before he introduces anything that will lead to years of economic harm that could end up being worse on people's lives than the virus itself. Minister. Yeah, yes, I have a high regard for my uh, honourable friend, and he's right to call attention to the, the dangers and the damage that uh, uh, lockdowns can, can do. Uh, of course, they have to be weighed against the the damage to, to health that's caused by a, a wave of coronavirus that drives out all other patients from our hospitals and uh, and, and and affects uh, the health of non-COVID patients as well so so very badly. We will of course be setting out a uh, an analysis of the health, economic, and and social impacts of the of the tiered approach and uh, and the data uh, that supports the the tiering decisions as we have done uh, in the past. Mr Speaker, when 72 Londoners burned to death at Grenfell because of a cladding defect, we all said, never again. But for hundreds of thousands, the living nightmare of waking watch and the non-existent EWS1 form continues. So will the Prime Minister commit that no leaseholder anywhere should foot the bill for what's no fault of their own and make good on the 2017 CLG Secretary's promise to end this neo-feudal absurdity of a tenure once and for all. Prime Minister. Yes. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, she's right to uh, call attention to uh, the, the difficulties that many people are facing because of the EWS1 form, and I sympathise very much with, uh, with them. Uh, mortgage uh, companies should realise that they are not necessary uh, for uh, buildings under, under 18 metres, and it's absolutely vital that they understand that. Uh, whilst we get on with the work of removing cladding uh, from all the buildings, uh, we can, and that's what, that's what this government is continuing to do. Brilliant case. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I welcome plans for a green industrial revolution, particularly commitments to public transport. Uh, but delivering sustainable rural bus services has always been a challenge. Uh, but in my constituency, South Pennine Community Transport uh, is trialling a new low-cost, low-carbon bus service that we believe could be a model to transform rural bus services across the UK. So would my right honourable friend meet with me and South Pennine Director Kevin Carr to discuss this model and look at how some of the uh, government's five billion commitment to buses can be used to transform rural services? Prime Minister. Well, she's asking an excellent question, and uh, we are developing a national bus strategy uh, that will uh, look at the, the needs of uh, how to get more people to, to, to use our, our buses. And, and in addition to uh, championing green, uh, zero carbon or low carbon buses, uh, we're providing £20 million for a rural mobility Fund to uh, to support demand uh, in uh, in rural areas. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Food bank use in my constituency has been increasing steadily, as working families, including public sector key workers, struggle to make ends meet. Can the Prime Minister therefore tell us whether he thinks the medium pay of teaching assistants of just under £14,000 and nursing auxiliaries of £18,000 is enough to live on? And I'll ask the Prime Minister again, instead of delivering a public sector pay freeze later today, will he instead give these key workers a well-deserved pay rise? Prime Minister. She, she's right to, to value uh, key workers and the amazing job that they do, particularly teachers and teaching assistants. And they've done a fantastic uh, work in getting our, our, our kids back into, into school over uh, the last few few months, and they continue to uh, to do an amazing job. And I'm proud, actually, of the uh, the work we've done, not just to increase uh, public sector pay uh, with inflation busting uh, package uh, July in July for the third year running, but also for what we're doing to support the uh, increases, record increases in the living wage delivered, Mr. Speaker, by a Conservative government, invented by a Conservative government, because Conservative governments can do these things because we understand how to run a strong economy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Lincolnshire has one of the highest populations of veterans in our country, and as such, can I warmly welcome the recent announcement to boost funding for our armed forces. Does the Prime Minister agree that one of the best ways in which we can help our veterans is to encourage employers to hire a hero. Minister. Absolutely, Mr. Speaker, and I, I, I thank uh, the, my honourable friend for the campaigns that he's running to support veterans, and we support uh, schemes such as that run by uh, Jerry Hill and his team at Hire a Hero, and we are encouraging businesses to hire veterans with a new national insurance tax break uh, for businesses that do so, and of course, making it easier for veterans to join the civil service. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Bio Yorkshire will place York at the heart of the global bioscience economy. It will cut carbon by 2,800 kilotons, create 4,000 green collar jobs, upskill 25,000 workers, and return £5 billion to the Treasury. The government are supportive but are delaying investment until at least the devolution deal. Unemployment in York is soaring. We need this investment now. Will he start the recovery by investing in Bio Yorkshire? Rachel, uh, Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as she knows, the government is committed to the 
10-point plan for a green industrial revolution, uh, which will generate uh, 250,000 jobs across the country uh, just in the immediate term. Uh, I hope very much that Bio Yorkshire will be amongst the beneficiaries, and I can't see any reason why it should not. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The news of the COVID vaccine is great for both my constituents in Wimbledon and across the country. But I believe when my constituents get sick, they should have the right to the highest quality access to health care. And the plans to improve and invest in St Helier Hospital would do just that. But the Prime Minister worked with me to ensure that those plans are brought forward as quickly as possible, despite the opposition from local Labour politicians. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. And how typical of Labour uh, of politicians locally to oppose uh, what they call for uh, nationally. Uh, I'm proud that we're going ahead with a brand new state-of-the-art hospital uh, that's going to be built in, in Sutton. Uh, and... Uh, the, and and m with most services staying put in a modernised uh, uh, buildings at Hep Epsom and, and Sahelia, uh, the new hospital will come as part of the government's commitment, to, as I say, to build 48 hospitals by 2030 in the biggest hospital building programme of a generation. Let's head to the goer with Tony Antoniazzi. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In the summer, we stood on our doorsteps and clapped for all of our key workers. Today, they will be hit once again with a real terms pay cut to their wages by the Chancellor's pay freeze. Now, Mr Speaker, I really do wonder, does the Prime Minister actually realise that claps don't pay the bills? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I think the Honourable Lady would recognise that at a time when uh, the private sector, when the, the UK economy has been so badly hit, when uh, private sector workers have seen falls in their incomes, it is right that uh, we should be responsible in our approach uh, to, to public finances, and that's what we're going to be. But be in no doubt that the uh, commitments that we have made have been outstanding so far, uh, above inflation uh, increases for public sector workers just in, uh, in July, 12.6% increase for nurses over the last uh, three years, biggest ever increase in uh, the living wage, and more to come in just a minute if she'll contain herself. Richard Pollock. Uh, Mr Speaker, last month, Year 6 students at the Edward Peake Church of England Middle School in Biggleswade wrote to me about the impact of lockdown and their ideas for promoting a healthier planet, including encouraging people not to put waste into the sea, planting more trees and building more electric cars, making more nature reserves and cleaning up the waterways, encouraging more elect local electricity production and reducing air pollution so children can see the stars. So will the Prime Minister join me in thanking the students and their teacher, Ms Twitchett, and tell the House if their ideas can play a part in his Green Plan. Yeah. Right, Minister. Well, it's quite uncanny, to Mr Speaker. It's as though Mrs Twitchett and, their, and her class were standing over my shoulder as I wrote the 10-point the plan, and I thank them for uh, their telepathic inspiration. Uh, it's, uh, I, I passionately agree that this is the right way forward for our country. It's going to mobilise uh, about £12 billion of government, investment about possibly three times more uh, from the private sector, and as I say, create 250,000, 300,000 jobs. It's a fantastic way forward for our country. John Trickett. I'm sure that the Prime Minister will share the pleasure which all, all of us have in the great engineering skills which are displayed in our country, especially in the North, and that one of the great jewels in the crown, uh, the crown are the engineers at Rolls-Royce but is he aware that Rolls-Royce are about to offshore 350 jobs for the north of England 
that would be a devastating blow to that part of the country and remove part of our national industrial infrastructure. Does he agree that the campaign of the workforce is in the national interest to retain those jobs in our country? And finally, will he use everything in his power to ensure that that offshoring does not take place? Prime Minister. Can I just say to the right honourable, to the honourable gentleman, he's so right to support Rolls-Royce, one of the, the, the great uh, companies in our country. And uh, we want to make sure, obviously, Rolls is suffering at the moment from the problems in the aerospace sector, the, uh, the fact that no one is flying uh, when you make a lot of your, uh, your money from servicing uh, aero engines, as, as, as Rolls-Royce does. It's, it's a very difficult time at the moment. Uh, we're keen to work with Rolls to ensure that that uh, Rolls-Royce, to ensure that company has a long-term future uh, as, a, as a great, great British company. And uh, he's making an excellent point, and I can assure him that the government is on it. That's it. I'm aware there are obviously no perfect options at the moment, but can I raise with the Prime Minister the issue of pubs and bars who will be affected by the Tier 2 restrictions? Many of these, such as Yorkshire Ales in Snaith, in my constituency, have invested considerable amounts of money into being COVID secure, and they will now be denied access to their valuable uh, Christmas, uh, pre-Christmas tray. Can the Prime Minister look again at those T2 restrictions and, if not, look at what other financial support can be offered to those bars and restaurants that cannot offer a substantial food uh, offering during this period? Prime Minister. Uh, My my honourable friend is is completely right about uh, the need to uh, support uh, local business and particularly in the the hospitality sector. And uh, uh, he should know that that in addition to the £3,000 uh, grant for businesses that are forced to close. We're, we're, we've got another uh, a grant of £2,100 uh, 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 per month for businesses that uh, uh, in the hospitality and accommodation, hospitality and accommodation sector. That's on top of the uh, the support that we've given via uh, via furlough, obviously, and uh, uh, via business rates uh, and uh, and, uh, and and the cuts in VAT, which are obviously intended to support. Uh, the hospitality sector as well. I am keenly aware of how difficult it is for uh, those pubs, bars, restaurants, hotels that are facing, uh, will face a, a tough time in in the tiers as we come out uh, next week. Uh, we will do our level best to, to support them. I should say we're also giving uh, 1.1 billion to uh, to local councils to to help them support businesses that are facing difficulties. But I just want to say one thing to the to the house as we come out of the of the of the lockdown. It, the way forward is not just through the, the vaccine, which we hope will, we will be able to start rolling out in the course of the next uh, few weeks and, uh, and months, but it's also the, this prospect of, of mass community testing. And I want to pay tribute to the people of Liverpool uh, who uh, have really stepped up and uh, in huge numbers, tens, hundreds of thousands of people in Liverpool have been tested. And that seems to have helped to drive the virus down in, uh, in Liverpool. And we want to see uh, that type of uh, collective action uh, stepping up to, to squeeze the disease happening across the country. So, uh, and, and, and that, I think, is, the, is a, a real way forward uh, that will enable the, uh, the, re- the hospitality, accommodation, uh, hotel sector uh, to, to come out of uh, these restrictive measures uh, quicker than uh, than than uh, is, is, has been uh, currently recently possible. We, we we're facing we've got two new 
uh, very, very important scientific development. Well, to answer the question, Prime Minister, I'm very pleased that the House of Commons has been able to help deliver an improvement to the sound and vision from Number 10 today. But we'd like our kit back this afternoon, Prime Minister. Right, in order to allow the safe exit of honourable members participating in this item of business and the safe arrival of those participating in the next, I'm suspending the House for three minutes. Order.